Hi and welcome to Authorised, podcast where writers speak. And today a writer of magazines originally and uh, worked in that industry for a long, long time and now has written a couple of books. The book we're talking to him about today is called Axed. Who Killed Australian Magazines? We'll talk to Phil Barker about that very shortly and get uh, to the bottom of that. Magazines, gee, I remember there was a time when my house was top-to-toe magazines. Uh, the amount of magazines that I consumed uh, because of work and uh, because of, uh, you know, interest as well uh, on, uh, on a weekly basis was astronomical. Not so much now. We'll uh, talk to Phil about uh, his book, Who Killed Australian Magazines, in just a moment. A reminder about our podcast partners, something you might not be good at is uh, finances. Well, I've got some people who can help you out, can straighten you out, can point you in the right direction and help make sure that your financial goals uh, are achieved. They're called CSCG. That's the name of the company, but they're a terrific bunch of people. You'll uh, love uh, working with them and having them help shape your financial future. Double nine seven four. 8333 is the telephone number. Just give them a call. Have a chat. Jump on the website, cscg.com.au. See the people you're dealing with. See the services they offer, and they offer everything. Uh, and you'll uh, you'll know you're in uh, great hands. Uh, so give them a call. Double nine seven four eight three double three. Simple as that, CSCG, and we are delighted to have them associated with the Authorised Podcast. Delighted to have Phil Barker, who was a managing editor uh, at news magazines for many, many years, worked with uh, the big names, the Ida Buttroses, the Dulcie Bowlings, the uh, the Nini Kings. Uh, he worked with them all. Uh, so let's find out his story and the story behind this book, Axed, Who Killed Australian Magazines? Tell us about this one. Why Why did you feel the need after having been in the industry for so many years and having so many roles that you had in the in the magazine industry? Why did you feel you needed to write the book? Um, well, to be honest, I was actually asked to write the book. Uh-huh. Um, and it's a, it's an interesting story and it's a, a lesson in and perhaps, um, uh, you know, being nice to people on the way through. Um, Emma Nolan, the publisher at Simon & Schuster, um, I gave her her first job on NW Magazine many, many years ago. She was a graduate from Charles Sturt University. Um, and in the, the great uh, redundancy wash of 2020, she was one of many senior uh, magazine executives who lost their job. Was she, the, she, was she the one that was doing work experience with you that you asked to, that you offered it, her a job? That's there? it. Okay. Yep. That's her. That's her. So, so I got a Facebook message one night saying, would you be interested in doing this? And I was like, yeah, that'd be fun. And then I, I messaged back about five minutes later going, oh, actually, you're evil. When, when the sort of the size of it and the, <laughs> the sort of the difficulty of the task ahead revealed itself as I thought about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, there's also an awful lot of people that get upset by, by writing a book of this nature. Everybody I spoke to, I did about 50 hours of primary interviews. Everybody I spoke to, is uh, on the record and the lawyers had a very good look at it and they didn't actually take much out in the end. It, 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 I don't think there's anything remarkably controversial in yeah, the no, book. It's just when you, when you put it all together, it, it's quite a damning picture. But, um, you know, the, the person who comes off worst is probably me. <laughs> um, it's a it's a colourful history, uh, Australian magazines, isn't it? I mean, it has had some some absolutely iconic names and and figures in public life, and and just some some bloody great characters too. Uh, the, the people uh, what made the magazine industry. I think Nick Chan, a senior publisher, who um, ended up at, at Park Street with ACP and then the Bowers twice. He, he was CEO there twice. 
he he um, you know talks about magazines, the profile that they had in the industry attracting the best and brightest, and, and I think that was right. Like if you if you really had ambition and wanted to do great stuff, you you tried to get yourself into magazines because it was definitely the shiny place to be, and it was very lucrative too. Yeah, um, we were certainly paid very well for for our, our toils. Um, and there was some, you know, decent expense accounts that nobody really worried about too much. There's, there's no doubt about that. But you know, there was rivers of gold flowing into the industry, and as long as you kept your magazine uh, making millions of dollars, then they were happy to pay you uh, well to do that. Yeah, Australia had an amazing. Uh, obs- oh, it's all, has, the word obsession has to be used with magazines. I mean, I think uh, were we not the uh, in the world. Uh, per capita uh, consumers of magazines more than anybody else in the world. Yep, the highest highest per capita in the world for a number of number of years in the eighties and nineties, and and you know, I think that just speaks to the to the great affection and sort of emotional connection that Australian readers, you know, had and and still have with their magazines, and and also speaks to the to the quality of the the titles that. That were being being made during those times. You know, they were exciting. They were interesting. They were beautifully produced, and a lot of people put a lot of care into the, you know, photography and layout and, and you know, the headlines. Every word was 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 mulled over um, with a great deal of care. And and the result of all those things were was a, an incredible connection um, between mastheads and readers. We, uh, you mentioned the word quality, and the and the quality of magazines in the eighties and nineties was of the highest standard in this country, as opposed to some of the stuff I saw when I first went to America, and uh, you know saw the National Enquirer and went, my God, what's this piece of crap? Um, and then, uh, uh, are you are you kind of bemused by where the magazine industry sits now in comparison to where it was in terms of its quality, uh, as opposed to what it was in the eighties and nineties? When you say when you say like you saw the National Enquirer, I mean in terms of content, yeah, you know you can think that's good or bad content. You know that's crap, but it was also like on really flimsy paper. So oh, it was a horrible. Quality, talk- yeah, both. Yeah, yeah, both. It was it was a it was a horrible ma- a magazine to have in your hands, and it was a horrible magazine to read. Yeah, no, it, it didn't have a nice spirit to it, did it? No, that, that's absolutely true. Because I think even when we did gossip, you know, we did it, we did it well, and we did it with a, a little bit of a nod and a wink to the reader that that you know, um, you know we know that something might not be absolutely one hundred percent factual in here, but gee, it's fun, isn't it? Look at this picture, and and I think the readers themselves, you know, deep down understood that, um, and you know, when there was a real shot and a real real source in the story, it was a real story, but when it was sources say, and it's just a picture of someone, you know, on the red carpet. Maybe, it, maybe it wasn't as accurate as it could have been. Yeah, but the, 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 when you say a nod and a wink, I mean the the the, the Jennifer Aniston backside shot is probably uh, epitomises to me the cheeky way we went about it, as opposed to the almost uh, you know uh, pursuit and 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 uh, oh, I don't know, I don't know what the the right word is yeah. the way the, the way the UK press go about things. Yeah, look, I, I think I know exactly what the the picture you're talking about, and that, and that came 
pretty soon after Diana's death. So after Diana's death, you know, there was a moment where everybody looked, I was editing NW at that stage or senior at NW magazine, uh, the old New Weekly. And uh, we remember looking at each other going, oh man, like is, is all that over? You know, are we able to do any sort of paparazzi based shots? Because, you know, the readers were so outraged and so upset. You know, basically they had a strong sense that Diana had been chased and, and killed by the paparazzi. Um, so there was a lot of guilt and, and, and anger with the readers because, you know, they obviously were part of the supply chain. You know, they, they were demanding these things and suddenly this happens. They're like, whoops, you know, I've got you know, hundreds of copies here at home and, and a lot of paparazzi pictures. So, you know, I think, think people really felt that strongly. Yeah. But uh, it was really soon after that, you know, it was only a few months after that, we, we got this rather sort of muddy shot of, of Jennifer Aniston um, sort of walking down the beach in a bikini. And I remember the discussions about running it, you know, should we run it or should we not? And, um, you know, because of the, the feeling about the paparazzi. And we did. And the result was, you know, 15% sales uptick. You know, the, the audience forgot that they hated the paparazzi really quickly or chose to, to look at a picture anyway, despite knowing what they knew. So um, it was all on for young and old soon after that again. You, you say in the book, and there's a, a, a little bit in the book where you talk about that people don't, people didn't matter, ethics didn't matter. The only thing that matters was was the yellow envelope, which had the circulation figures that that came to you. Did it was it that cut and dry? Was it that uh, business? Uh, you know, where you where you kind of took your heart out of it and and said, okay, we're going to put that on the front cover, or we're going to run this story because it'll sell magazines. There were certainly moments. I think we dealt with local celebrities a lot differently than we did with um, overseas celebrities. You know, I think if you're earning millions of dollars as a movie star, if there's a picture of you and, a, and on the cover of an Australian magazine, you're not damaged that much, and you are, um, you know, also riding on the, the the successes come to you from from that very thing. But with local, you know, local television personalities, you know, I think we tried to be as careful as we could, and there's, you know, there's a a few stories I remember, you know, Channel 7 publicity ringing up and saying, please don't, please don't, she's distraught. And we went, yeah, there's no real value in that um, yeah. and, and didn't do it. So, you know, we weren't weren't all evil, but but certainly for the, the you know, the big names back in the day, uh, the big American and, and European stars, you know, the, the I think that, you know, the, the damage done to Jennifer Anderson by being on the, the cover of NW magazine was pretty much nil. The Royals was a gift that kept on giving, wasn't it, and still does to this day? Oh, absolutely. There's a, there's a, a, a huge love affair with, with Diana in particular, and it was Diana that drove, you know, those massive sales um, before she died and you know, the, the, the biggest stories ever uh, for both Warren's Day and New Idea were, were, royal, story, were royal stories. The uh, Fergie toe sucking, and then very, very soon after um, the release of the Camilla Gates tapes, yeah. as they are as they, as they are now known. Um, was was Diana's death the line in the sand for for the way everyone went about putting magazines together? Um, yeah, like as I said, I think I, it, it, it felt like it was going to be. But, but in the end, it, it, it wasn't. It, it um, you know, we still kept using the paparazzi. Uh, yeah, and this is just the gossip, gossip magazine. Yeah. Um, um, 
so there was a, a line drawn in the sand, but it was stepped over very, very quickly. The the demise of the the magazine industry. How 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 critical is it? How how bad a shape is it currently in? I mean, uh, uh, there's there's more closing down than opening up. There's more redundancies than there are you know job opportunities. Where where is it sitting at the moment from your point of view? Well, I'll just I'll run through some numbers, and these, these are quite hard to get your head around. So I'll, I'll I'll be as clear as I can. So this is sort of what happened in terms of of market value. So in two thousand and eight. James Packer um, sold ACP magazines to CBC Capital for $1.75 billion, right? Yep. So that's just ACP. Four years later, CBC sold um, the magazines to Bauer Media for $525 million. So that's less than half value already. Yep. In 2020, Bauer bought Pacific, so that's the whole the other major magazine company in Australia, for forty million, which brought almost ninety percent of you know, the magazine titles under one roof, and then just a couple of months later, Bauer sold the whole thing, which is ACP and Pacific together, well, Bauer and Pacific together, um, to Mercury Capital for uh, forty or fifty million. Some swearing the number was as low as ten. So from two thousand and eight, one point seven five billion for ACP, and then maybe between ten and forty million for the whole shebang. Uh, by 2020, and you know you couldn't have had less value added to those titles if you'd taken them out into Hyde Park and set the set the mastheads on fire in a bin. Good God, and, and that's all because of, uh, because they didn't see uh, the internet and the explosion of that uh, that whole area uh, of being their biggest competitor. Yeah, that that's at the heart of it, but it was also how we responded to it. There was there was a whole bunch of factors at play. I think the, one of the main things was um, uh, obviously, you know, information is available online now, and and so, but we saw that coming and we knew, but that was sort of someone else's problem in the future. Like that yellow envelope meant that all you cared about was what happens that week, yep. and you know, the future was was definitely somebody else somebody else's problem. Another issue was that um, ACP gave up the right the digital rights for content from the magazines to 9MSN uh, in the 90s. And that was a deal that lasted almost 10 years. So editors had no control whatsoever of content once it once it went out the door and online. And, you know, so it wasn't about promoting the magazines. It wasn't about surrounding the reader with, a, with an ecosystem. It was just about content for 9MSN. And sometimes it wasn't even branded. So, you know, the cover story of, uh, from the Australian Women's Weekly, one month would end up in online without even promoting or being attributed to the weekly, and a lot of people were very upset about it. And there was, there was not a lot they could do about it. Yeah. Exactly the same thing happened with Channel Seven and Yahoo Seven, uh, and it was you know both of those deals lasted over a decade, and and those that decade was when the internet was, was happening. So by the time those deals were undone, and they've both been done undone now. Um, uh, you know, publishers were well behind the eight ball in terms of their digital game because they hadn't been playing it for, for, for 10 years. And, and those titles that are successful now are the ones that have a, a brilliant digital game. And, and I think, you know, what we need to get clear in our heads is we're, we're, we're talking about, sure, we're talking about print magazines, but we're talking about uh, magazines as brands. Yep. So, 
GQ Australia, for example, it does not exist in print at the moment. But it is an incredibly successful brand and title ongoing for uh, news corporations because um, of you know they they talk to their readers uh, to you know, to the audience on social media. Uh, there's events, there's a GQ Man of the Year. Um, there's a whole bunch of affiliate marketing goes on. So if you know you get a tweet or a, a message on some digital platform from GQ and you buy a pair of shoes, then then News Corp has a little nibble at that pie. Yeah. Um, so it's actually making a great deal of money, and it, but it, but it you know they don't have the cost of print and distribution, <laughs> but yet they have still got this wonderfully functioning brand. Yeah. So that that's a really interesting thing, and I think that that's part of the way forward for magazine brands. And for and for books, even uh, you know, e-books and audible books and all those different ways that we now the way we consume the product is what's changed. The actual product probably didn't need to, or, or probably shouldn't have. Yeah, it's, it's in, and I will just a quick aside. Um, reading the the audio book of Acts is is one of the most difficult things I've ever done. <laughs> and I, I know you've had Peter Fitzsimons on, and and I've seen him say, "So why don't I do the the audio reads of my book?" Because I, I don't have two weeks to sit in a studio. So it took me, I think, 18 or 20 hours just sitting in front of the microphone. Um, and, you know, the guy will say in your ear, okay, can we just have that again? Can we just have that again? <laughs> <laughs> and grinding through sentence by sentence yep. uh, and trying to keep trying to keep consistent. It's a, it's a remarkable experience and it's something I think every author should have a crack at. But, um, you know, I've, I've spoken to a few people who went, I sat down, I read the sentence, I listened to my own voice, and I looked at the rest of the book, and I got up and I went, get an actor to do it. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a thing, huh? Um, but, yeah, um, I, I think books are, books are doing a pretty good job of understanding that there's multiple platforms for a message, and it doesn't necessarily have to be just the thing that it, it, it's in print. But, you know, print is, is – you know, I still love the heft of a of a of a great magazine. Like I'll still buy British GQ if I'm if I'm getting on a plane or something like that. I, I uh, just the feel, even the smell of it. You know, a beautifully crafted, laid out and written magazine is still still a joyous thing. It's just a more rare thing than it was. How did you feel when uh, when you you got your hands on the on the book and you you could sort of look at that? I mean, I know it's not your first book. You did uh, Revolution of, of Man uh, back in what twenty nineteen. So yeah, but that that uh, from someone who worked for so long in magazines, uh, getting your hands on your on your books is that is that still a good feeling for you? Yeah, it's a special moment. Um, like if I, I think you know, someone who's written twenty books. You know, when when the the courier drops a box at your door and you open it and you see it physically for the first time and your name's on the front, it's, it's, it is. It's just an incredibly special moment. And then you pick it up and you look through it and go, oh, God, I want to do a second edition already. That's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. I could fix that. I could do that better. Like it, it's one thing, one thing I've learned about books is that, is that you're never finished. It just happens that your publisher goes, um, we have to print it now. You have to stop. Yeah. <laughs> that's how it feels. Uh, the magazine industry, the, if, if you want to, uh, you know, if you walk down the main street and ask someone about uh, Australian magazines in the 80s and 90s, they'd, they'd throw up Ita, they'd throw up probably Dulcie Bowling and, and maybe Nene King uh, as, the, as the kind of, um, I guess, poster uh, figures of, of, of that era. Where do you fit in there, Phil? 
Um, I worked with Nini and briefly for Nini. Um, I was actually Nini's competition. Yeah. Um, Nini was Nini ran Women Women's Day um, after she left New Idea, and, and there was you know the legendary um, competition that she had with, with Dolce Bowling. Um, you know when she was running New Idea, that she was she was an absolutely huge character and one of the most utterly terrifying and also wonderful people I've ever met in my life. Yeah. And she hated NW, which I was, I think, deputy editor of most of the time with her, with a passion because it was eating into Women's Day's own sales. But the reason that they made it was there was just so much advertising and so many readers that they created, you know, another bucket to catch some of that revenue. But but Nene loathed NW with a, with a, well, a new weekly as it was, with a passion. And she, she said to Richard Walsh once that she, Thought it was a bastard child that should have been drowned at birth. So <laughs> that that was what you took into meetings with Needy. But she was you no, know, she was exactly as everyone's described her. Like she was, you know, she she loved that sort of idea that she was this dragon lady, and and the power that that she had gave her the opportunity to to say what she wanted and do whatever she wanted. Because Kerry was Kerry Packer was coming downstairs and sitting in her office would have a feet up on her, on, on her desk and they were chuckling away about things. So when you've got, you know, Kerry's imprimatur you, and, and he loves you and you're making millions of dollars for him, you can do pretty much whatever you want. But also, you know, she you could, especially after her husband Pat Bowering died, or yep. he was taken by a shark off, off, his, off Bondi, um, she was a, a really sort of broken person and, you know, all that money and all that power Sort of, you know, meant nothing if you're not happy in yourself, and you can see that in me. And she, she took me for lunch one day um, as I uh, had just taken over the, as editor in chief of Women's Day, I think. And you know, she was incredibly gracious and said, you know, she's like, right, this is what you need to do. This is this is what people care about. You know, how are you going to do this? And she looked at me and she said. What's the next feng shui? Because she introduced yeah. feng shui to the magazine, and it was something no one had ever heard of, but it was incredibly popular. And she was just a genius at stuff like that. And I remember thinking to myself, I have no idea what the next feng shui is. Maybe that's a terrifying <laughs> and very good question. <laughs> what um, when you look back on your on your twenty plus years? Well, what's the high point from your point of view? Your time in magazines? I think the high the high point, and I think this this is you know appropriate. This, speaks to all parts of, of professional life. The high point is definitely growing something from from zero and having a growth trajectory. If you're trying to hold on to something to stop it collapsing and getting smaller, it's really hard and horrible and difficult. So growing MW and New Weekly as it was um, for the first few years was fun. It was a really different mag- sort of gossip magazine to the others. It was much younger. It was Funny, it was light, and we and, and it was really well accepted, and, and sort of set a slightly different standard in the market. And we were you know, the team was basically you know a lot of very young women. Um, you know, there was a, a few men in the business, and it was super fun, and we loved what we did, and it was hilarious, and it was it was great. But then later on, running Woman's Day, and there was just nothing you could do to stop the slow circulation slump week after week after week. Now, you'd have a little pop-up, but, but there was a, a downward line that there was nothing you could do about it. And I think that's, that's incredibly difficult, be it a, a magazine or a business or whatever you're doing. Do you miss it and would you go back? Uh, 
I would, like I see myself as publishing content to this day. I just do it uh, in my professional life now on, on behalf of clients. I, I would certainly go back to, you know, I think that, I think there's a really blurred line now between you know, who was a publisher and who was not. You know, Bunnings is a publisher. Um, Chemist Warehouse is a publisher. Um, you know, they all, all have taken charge of, the, of their own content. Um, so, so I wouldn't want to run like a pure general interest magazine. Um, but you know, if, if you know, I got to edit Australian guitar or something like that, you know, <laughs> I'd, I'd still do something like that. But the first thing I'd do is is check that we, you know, what are we, what data do we have? What do we know about our readers? How do we connect with them every single day? How do we know how they want to be spoken to, when they want to be spoken to, and what they want to be spoken to about? So if we had all that play lined up, then absolutely um, I would. There's a great story. There was a fantastic moment um, uh, that I recorded in the book. I had the strangest job um, with news magazines bought um, federal publishing companies. So we've been, and I was MD of news magazines. So we jumped from uh, five titles like Donna Hay and Inside Out, lovely little titles, about 140 staff, to almost 30 magazines. And so we, there was this broad church of mags. We had Vogue, but we also had um, Live to Ride, which was basically the, the biking magazine. And I, and I don't mean people who ride motorbikes, I mean real bikings with leather patches, you know. Yeah. And, and so you'd go from a meeting with Vogue straight into the next meeting with the editor of, of Live to Ride. And and the editor of Live to Ride's name was Pugsley, and Pugs, he, he there was a vague vague sort of air that Pugs could have your house down if if he wanted to, but he, he wouldn't. He's a lovely bloke, but certainly they just viewed everything else and, and management with with some with sort of disdain. Rode the Harleys to work, made the magazine, and went home. So. As I was doing my research, I thought to myself, right, I wonder what happened to Lift to Ride. I wonder when that got knocked on the head. So I researched it and almost fell off my chair because there it was, doing incredibly well, hail and hearty, and owned by Pugsley. He bought it wow. from the publisher that, that ran it um, uh, about four years ago. And I made contact with him and I said, well, this is one of your old many shit bosses. I hope you don't mind talking talking to me. He's like, which one were you? Oh, yeah, you weren't that shit. <laughs> oh, right, right. He just agreed to talk to me. He's never worked on another magazine. Um, and that guy, uh, he has a video play. He has a fantastic website. He knows exactly what his readers want. He's developed the magazine. He's walked away from the you know, the more sort of nasty criminal elements of the of the, the bikey clubs. He told them, you know, this is not about you guys anymore. This is about motorbikes. Like he said to me very proudly, he said, oh, I had an electric Honda in last month. You know, which is, <laughs> so not just, not just Harley. And he's making a real great go of it. And um, his, his right-hand man, Loaf, is Life. still with him. The so pugs and Loaf are still doing it. Uh, and that was, that was one of the most heartwarming happy stories from, from the whole book. You know, I, I was just, I, I just imagined that it's gone and it hadn't, it's, it's, it's vibrant. So, you know, Pugs did what lots and lots of other, um, uh, you know, huge publishers couldn't um, because he knows and loves his readers and understands how to talk to them yeah. and has got a good digital play. Yeah, no, that's a terrific story. 
Hey, Phil, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, well done on the book and, uh, and good luck for the future. Oh, mate, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Well, thanks to Phil for his time. It's a good book. It's got some great stories in there, some terrific stories and uh, an insight into what's happening in the Australian magazine industry and why. Uh, so Axed, Who Killed Australian Magazines by Phil Barker. It's available now through Simon and Schuster. Uh, and my thanks also to our podcast partners. If you've got uh, a finance situation that you need dealing with, uh, if, if every day is a finance situation you need dealing with, they're the people to talk to, CSCG. double nine seven four eight triple three. that's their number. Jump on the website, have a look at who you're dealing with and what they can offer you, and it's a terrific service that they do offer, uh, cscg.com.au. Till the next time, I'm Kevin Hillier. Read a book and maybe we'll talk about it in the next Authorised Podcast. Mm-hmm.